want to pray for just a moment. And then uh, when I conclude praying, I invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And it will be up on the screen uh, for you to pray. Or if it's new to you, maybe just to, to listen to and hear the, the prayer that Jesus gave us. But let us pray. Oh, God, we praise you. You are great. Um, you are faithful. You are everything to us. You are the one who conquered death, and we need death conquered. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way where it seemed like there was no way. You did it, and you did it for us. And we have been longing for Easter, longing for this moment, longing for a celebration where the whole world hears that Jesus is Lord. And so we celebrate you today, Jesus. Today proves you are king proves your God, and it gives us the very foundation for us to live. In this Easter celebration, God, we bring our hearts before you and ask you to help us. We bring our very real lives and situations that we're facing and ask that you would heal us and resurrect us, give us new life. Because we know that all of life does not feel like an Easter celebration. So we call out to you today and ask for your help. We bring our hearts before you. Know us, God. Heal us. We know that you've seen us. Uh, you've seen us over the last couple of weeks. You've seen us grieve over the loss of family members, friends, church members who we've lost. You've seen us afraid as we await test results. You've seen us tired. You've seen us sad. You've seen us afraid to send our children to school. You've seen the brokenness in our government. You've seen how we still hold greed and corruption and racism in our hearts. You've seen us angry with each other. You've seen our division, just like the first Holy Week in Easter. And so God, Jesus, give us resurrected hearts so that we can have resurrected voices that look to a better future, making things good and right. We do continue to pray for the Covenant School and Church who gathers right now for their Easter service. As the church connected to the church, we pray for them an abiding hope, strength, strength for the seven families who've lost loved ones. Let them know your love in this devastation. We pray, God, that the faithful churches of this land would work together for unity, for a more excellent way Help us to walk into a beautiful future made possible by your grace, the grace of Jesus. So give to us grace, God. Grace for ourselves, grace for each other, grace for our enemies, grace upon grace. Help us to hear the Easter story this morning and really see Jesus. Really hear what he's trying to say to each of us and to be saved. And now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, happy Easter, everyone. It's so great to see you, uh, to be with you on this. Just
just wonderful, beautiful day. I'm thankful that each one of you has made the time to come and be here. Uh, I want to welcome you. I know that we have many people that are here with us for the first time. Welcome to Providence Church. Uh, my name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here, and, and we're just so glad that, that you have chosen to, to be with us today. In fact, I want to offer an invitation to all of you to come back next week. Uh, you probably heard on the video we're starting a new series called Bring It Into the Light, a conversation on mental health. So on Sundays, our normal times are as today, 8, 9, 30, and 11. And we would love for you to come. Uh, I'll be sharing from my own heart. Uh, this is something near to my heart, near to my own journey. Uh, dealing with uh, different mental health issues. And we're just going to be honest about it. We're not going to try to fix anybody or probably fix anything in a moment, but to hear from God and find hope and healing and wholeness together. We're going to look at some scriptures where uh, people encounter real life stuff, depression, anxiety, addiction, burnout. And so that may be something that connects close with your heart or someone that you love dearly. You may want to bring them or just come so that you can uh, find some strength and comfort. I wanted you to make sure and, and know about that. Uh, it's my honor today to read to you from the scriptures, the Easter story, the story of Jesus' resurrection as found in the book of John in the Bible. And so I'll be reading to you from John chapter 20. This will be the best thing you hear this morning, okay? So John chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, says this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they, they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed, but they still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying, and Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to your God and my God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the greatest part of the greatest story. Now, in my opinion, every week we come here, we open the Bible, we're reading about and hearing about the greatest story, the story of God and God's people, the story of Jesus. But today, good job getting here. Today's the greatest part of the greatest 
story. It, it holds, uh, it, it boggles my mind to think right now across the world in the last 24 hours, there will be billions of people who have come to worship Christ. There are 2 billion people on the face of the earth right now that say they believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that incredible? This story took place in a time when the Roman Empire was over everything and over everyone. And 12 disciples who then became 120 have become 2 billion. It was the Roman Empire then and now we have, you know, Caesar salad, right? It's like these kingdoms do not last. These empires don't make it. And yet 2,000 years from now, we're still saying that he's the king. This story holds everything for everybody, not just something for everybody. It holds everything for everybody. It's for you if you come to church all the time, if you've never been to church, if you're a skeptic, if you're a doubter, if your heart feels empty right now, if it's brimming with joy right now, if you're feeling pain, if you're feeling with grief, this is the story. And it's the greatest part of the greatest story. Obviously, I'm a big fan of it. And so I'm really pumped to share a bit of it with you today. But what I've learned about great stories is that to understand the fullness of a story, you probably can't know every, every bit, every part, but if you can understand just a bit about the beginning part of the story and the broken parts of the story, you'll get a more full picture of what's happening in the climax, in the moment. If you can understand the beginning parts and the broken parts. For example, like if I told you that my wife, Rachel and I, next month, we are celebrating our 22nd anniversary, you might think, well, that's great. But then you probably wouldn't think that much about it. It's not that, you know, that, that in itself is not that great of a story. I mean, it is to me, honey. So I'm just like saying to them, uh, like, you see what I'm saying? So um, she's here every service. Uh, anyway. Um, but if I told you that we met in kindergarten, you might think, oh, that's interesting. That's a long time to be dating. You know, that's, that's cool. And it's true. We grew up one street from each other. Our mom's car pulled us together at a First Baptist Church here in Mount Juliet to kindergarten. Um, I actually have a picture of us in kindergarten. Uh, that's me on the top left. It actually doesn't matter which one is me. Just pick any of the guys. And then uh, on the bottom right is Rachel there. Uh, this picture was taken in 1927. As you can tell, <laughs> golly, like if to find a picture of us in kindergarten, first you have to have a VCR and you put the tape in and you take a picture of the TV. It's like crazy. But anyways, um, but we haven't been dating since kindergarten. In fact, we did not see each other after kindergarten for 10 years, 10 years separated. And we were actually, we're at the Wilson County Fair. We were 15 in ninth grade when we reunited, reconnected after all that time. We had a mutual friend that said, hey, don't you guys remember each other? We were uh, in kindergarten together and I saw Rachel and, and Rachel says to me, she says, when we were in kindergarten, they taught us. Us. We were at a Christian school. She said, they taught us that in the Bible, Jacob marries Rachel. That's our names. And she said, so in kindergarten, I thought that we were going to get married. And I'm like, whew, all right, okay. I've never had this happen before. Like, she's pretty forward. <laughs> I like it. I like her. And so I tried to think of what to say. And I said, I thought this was a great line. I said, so who am I? This is what I said. I said, who am I to argue with the Bible? Right? <laughs> And uh, she did not speak to me for one whole year after that moment. So, but uh, you, some of y'all know our stories. Like I wanted to date her. Uh, she didn't want to date me. That's not a great part of the story. Another inconvenient part of the story for me was she had this boyfriend for all of high school, which really got in the way. Bad part of the story. This is a picture of us in high school. And uh, you're probably thinking, what is she waiting on? You know, <laughs> get, it, get it together, lady. Um, Actually, that, the picture raises a lot of questions. Um, do I want to go to church here anymore? Uh, yeah, I don't know what else it might bring for you. But anyways, we got married uh, just a few years after that. We got married, we were 20 years old. And you're like, some people are like, man, that's young to get married. We're from Mount Juliet. That means we waited, you know, to make it to that, <laughs> to that point. And then a couple years after that, we had this little baby. Her name was Mary Elizabeth. 
And uh, our whole life set on this trajectory. We've had two daughters since then. And so I, I share that with you just to say you get a little bit more of the story and, and, and understanding our marriage when you hear the, the beginning parts. But I also would need to tell you that the last couple of years for us have been the hardest in our marriage. The toughest, for sure. Some of y'all know a couple of years ago I had a major health event. And it changed everything. Rachel had to step up in ways that she'd never stepped up before. That we really learned what it means uh, to make a vow in sickness and in health. We really learned what it means to make a vow to love and to cherish. And, uh, you know, in that health event, my anxiety just followed right after it, just like it always does. And so it's been a tough couple of years, but I would say our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. Uh, and our love is deeper. I'm so glad that you're here today that you've made it a priority because we get to hear the greatest part of the greatest story. But if you will let me, I just want to share briefly a little bit of the beginning part and a little bit of the broken part so that as we come to the conclusion of this service, we can truly feel the fullness of the joy and the power of Jesus' resurrection, which is the greatest thing if that's all we talked about. But I want to take just a few minutes and give you the beginning and the broken. The Bible starts with the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. And it starts with the story of God creating the world. Makes sense. That's how it would start. But if you've ever wondered how the Bible really starts, it says this in the first line of Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. So if you ever wondered how this whole thing started, it starts with God. And then it says uh, God begins to create the whole world. And the, the story is told in, these, in days. God creates in these seven days. God says, let there be light and there's light. There's never been a thing called light before. But there's light and there's night and there's day, the first day. And then the next day God creates uh, water in the sky. It's the second day. That was a big day, a lot to pull off. The third day, that's land and plants. And so God keeps creating. And at the end of each day, God looks at what he's created and he says, this is good. This is good. Now, the sixth day, God has this magnificent creation, us, humans. It says he, got, he creates in his own image, male and female. And when he looks at his creation of humans in all that he's created, he says, this is very good. How many of you looked in the mirror right before you came here and said, this is very good, right? This man here, thank you for raising your hand. Uh, but we all should have, right? If we understand that in the beginning, in the creation story, we were created as very, very good. And so we get just a picture of, this is like we're here in the kindergarten part of the story so we can have a better picture of what's coming later. Let me read to you the first few verses of the Bible. This is from a translation called the voice translation. That's a little bit different, but it has some beautiful imagery that I wanted you to hear. It says, in the beginning, God created everything, the heavens above and the earth below. Here's what happened. At first, the earth lacked shape and was totally empty and a dark fog draped over the deep while God's spirit wind hovered over the surface of the empty waters. Then there was the voice of God. God said, let there be light. And light flashed into being. God saw that the light was beautiful and good, and he separated the light from the darkness. That's how our story starts. The story starts with God and emptiness. In fact, this version says that it was totally empty. That when everything started, there was just this emptiness. I can't even picture what that looks like for God to be hovering over total empty nothingness. But in that emptiness and God's hovering spirit above it, there was a voice that spoke. A voice spoke out of nowhere. The first words were God's words of creation. God said light and there'd never been light. And all of a sudden there's light. And so we see that the voice had 
power. God's voice in creation spoke, and the voice had a power unlike any other power, the power to create out of nothing. And God named it, the creator gets the right to do this, beautiful and good. In creation, there was an emptiness of which a voice spoke over with total power to create, and the creation was beautiful and good. The sun went down, the sun came up, the end of the first day. Well, since then, as we know, there have been thousands and thousands of days, thousands of times that the sun has come up and the sun has gone back down. Thousands of people have entered into the story. Thousands of new characters come into the God story. Thousands of people who encounter all the things that we encounter, goodness and joy and marriages and babies and divorce and loss and death and grief and pain and then more goodness and more beauty on top of the pain and all that kind of stuff. It was all happening day after day after day after day. And in the midst of that, the voice of God was still speaking. The voice of God was still calling out to his people, just like he did in the garden in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the voice of God is speaking, calling to people to come into relationship with him, to come close to him. But what happens over the course of human history is God speaks and people say, no thanks. Or people say, not now. Or people say, I don't think, I don't think that's for me. And so we kind of have the beauty of creation and also a mess that has been created. And it's into that situation, that world, that the real Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a historical figure, a real guy, steps in to uh, life. But this is God in flesh, and so Jesus is different. But Jesus does all the same things we do. He goes to weddings and funerals and churches and parties, and he has friends and he has heartbreak and all those kind of things. And the people who are following Jesus, who stepped into that world, begin to think that he is the one who's going to bring the full fulfillment of the great story. His friends begin to think, I actually think he's the one. I think that he's the one that's going to be the next king, the one that's going to make everything right, that's going to sit on Caesar's throne. But in the midst of their world, like our world, things got really tense, stressed, violent, contentious. And there's a night that Jesus stands in another garden when people come to him with clubs and torches to take him away. One of Jesus' disciples takes his sword and cuts off the ear of one of those guys that come. They were just like real dudes, right? And Jesus says to Peter when he did that, he says, no more of this. And we understand that he's saying to Peter, no more cutting people's ears off when you get mad. But it's bigger than that. We hear Jesus speaking this word of no more of this, that something is coming where he's going to take away, uh, take away the brokenness and the emptiness. But instead of Jesus going to a throne or to Caesar's uh, 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 empire, Jesus is sent to a cross, an executioner's cross, where he receives real nails in his real hands and he sheds real blood and he dies a real death. And they put him in a grave. And then a couple days later, Mary, one of Jesus' closest friends, before the sun even came up, before the day started, she goes to the tomb. Why? Same reason you and I do that. When we lose someone we love, we're like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to take the grief? And so oftentimes we go to the place where the body has been laid. But when Mary comes to the tomb, she finds that it is totally empty. She stands in another garden and there's another emptiness before her. Mary's heart echoes that emptiness as she drops her head and goes and finds two of the disciples, Peter and John, to come and see that somebody has stolen the body. She brings them back. They take a look in. They give up and they leave. But Mary stays. It's a story because Mary stays. Mary stays and she cries. That reservoir of tears that had built up in her over the grief of that week and the grief of her life just pours out in that moment. She's just crying and crying and crying outside of the tomb. And then behind her, a voice speaks. A voice spoke in that moment. She thought that it was uh, the gardener. 
Uh, she assumed that it was the gardener because they were in a garden. But it wasn't the gardener. It was Jesus. And he speaks one word, her name, Mary. And she knows that it's him. And in that moment, she knows that because Jesus is alive, that she is alive. She knows that because the grave could not hold Jesus back, there will eventually never be any grave that holds her back. The whole world changes. It trips the cosmos in that moment when Jesus speaks the name of his friend because his voice had power, the power to break down a tomb door and walk out and speak to her. And in that moment, it was beautiful and good. Jesus has reset creation from the first garden in Genesis to now the garden of his tomb. And by speaking his friend's name, he has called out the gospel, the good news that is brought by the son of God putting on flesh and dying and raising again. But he does it with this word, Mary. (laughs) Pretty crazy. So my daughter's name is Mary, my firstborn. She's 19 now, another part of our story. But when uh, she was growing up, we spent a big part of our growing up days down at the Mount Juliet Little League Park here, um, right, down, right down the road. So she played softball for a bunch of years. And I was her coach. I just wanted to be her coach. And I loved every second of being her coach. And my favorite part about coaching softball is coaching third base. Third base is where the action is and little kid softball and baseball. So I have this memory, her first game of peewee softball. This is coach pitch. She's like nine years old. And I'm coaching third base and Mary gets up and she gets on, she gets on first base. And what happens when a kid goes to first base, there's a first base coach, not as good a job, but the first base coach (laughs) is there. And what the first base coach does is has to go over every rule of softball that they've ever been taught in that moment when they get there, right? They just have to kind of recap everything. And one of the things that they will tell them is if the ball is hit and you start running, you have to turn your attention to the third base coach. You have to listen to what he's saying. He's going to tell you. You can't watch everything. You can't watch the ball. Your job is to listen for the voice of the third base coach. So when Mary got on first base, Coach Charlie told Mary, he said, you just need to listen for your dad's voice. If there's a hit, just listen for your dad's voice. Well, the next girl up was Emmy, and Emmy hit this ball right into right field. She craned it. The balls went out there. Mary took off. She was doing everything just right, running around the bases. She hit second. Her eyes went up. Her ears went to me. I'm watching the the whole deal. I'm seeing the ball out there. The ball's coming in, but I'm thinking, I think Mary can make it. And so I start hollering, come on, Mary, run, run, keep going. All right, I'll be honest. I windmill armed it. I got so pumped. You know, I'm just like, go, baby, go. I dreamed of this moment. Uh, Not this moment. I want to take that one back if I could. Um, But she is coming around. I'm thinking she's going to make it. And when she hit third, instead of stepping on the bag, her toe hit the front of the bag. She tripped and she fell and did this headlong slide right on the other side of third base. This red cloud of dust went right up in front of me. She's laying on the ground on the base pass in front of the base. Home's there. I see the ball coming in. And this happens often in in little, Little League. But the ball went to the catcher. And instead of the catcher catching it, it goes through her legs and goes to the backstop. And so I said, Mary... And Mary's head twitched to attention, this little ponytail coming out of the back of her helmet. I said, Mary, run home. And she jumped to her feet and she ran down. She didn't even have to slide, just stepped on home plate and crossed the back. Now, there are a lot of runs scored in peewee softball, okay? (laughs) There are a lot of errors. This wasn't a, a, a significant moment. You know, that's 10 years ago. Nobody remembers who won or what the score was. Five to four, uh, we, we won. But it's not important. I mean, it's not important. But what, I, what really hit my heart that day, after Mary was going to the dugout, she just turned back and looked at me in one moment. 
and her eyes met my eyes and she knew. I felt like she was saying to me, it's so cool to get to share this story with you, Dad. And what happened is she knew that I knew her and I knew that she knew me. Now, I can't tell you my whole story of me with Mary. I can't tell you everything about our first year she was born. I was a full-time student in a city 65 miles away from where we lived. And every morning I left before she got up. Every night I came home before she, she was already in bed, you know. But I would go into her nursery when it was still dark and I would say her name because I wanted her to know the way that her name sounded from my voice. And so when she was nine and I was coaching her softball because I made that promise to myself (laughs) that I wouldn't miss anything else, she knew what her name sounded like from my voice. And in the garden on that Easter morning, Mary had no doubt who was speaking her name when Jesus said Mary from behind her. And What I wanted to tell you today, the reason you're here is for somebody to tell you that God knows your stinking name. That yes, God has the power to speak the whole cosmos into existence, to bring light where there has never been light, but he also knows you. And in that moment, the greatest story has the greatest part when we see that Jesus' resurrection is calling to our hearts and our emptiness. I know that some of you are empty today, okay? I get it. I know that you can come and sit through a whole church service and still feel empty. But Jesus has the power with his voice to say, no more of this. No more of this. Whatever it is that's coming against you, Jesus can say, no more of this. And Jesus calls us to resurrection. He makes our hearts come alive because he has the voice that has power. What a God. What a God who would look at the nothingness, the chaos of before creation and have the power to create and then do everything that was possible, everything that was necessary to call to every created male and female who were born and say to them their names and raise them to life. Easter is this moment where the whole world celebrates. It has cosmic effects, but until we understand the way it hits us personally, we won't care about any of that. What Jesus does is he raises a voice in us, a confession in us to make and say the one thing that will save us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you would believe something so preposterous, if you would believe what billions across the world are believing today, if you would say, this is crazy, how could I believe it? But I can't stop it. I believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and you say with your voice that he is Lord, you will be saved. You'll be saved from your sin. You'll be saved in a broken world. You'll be saved from the violence. You'll be saved from the corruption. You'll be saved from it all if your heart will come alive in Jesus. Let me me tell you this. Coming to church on Easter won't save you. Having a perfect church attendance record won't save you. Doing everything right won't save you. Getting all the answers right on some spiritual test won't save you. It is only the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, his bloodshed for our sins, and his resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday and your belief in it that will save you. And all you got to do is say, I believe, or say yes, or say Jesus is Lord, or say he's risen indeed. Just do something to confess your belief in it. I believe that God has a miracle for every story in this room. The greatest part of the greatest story is Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Oh God, give us just a few moments here of space where we can lift our hearts up to you.
Would you hear the hearts, God, in this room that are saying yes to you? And I just encourage you, if you're here or you're online and you want to say yes to Jesus, if you believe, and you don't even know why you believe, but if you believe and you want to say yes, just lift that confession up to Jesus now. You will be saved. You will be saved. And as we come to communion, Lord, let it be a moment where we meet with you, where we connect with your spirit, where we know you and you know us. In Jesus' name, amen.